Hello, and welcome back to Social Justice Tours Pandemic Podcast. Today, we're continuing a conversation we started last week about reproductive freedom. Today, we have on Nilu Shruti from Love Child. So great to have you with us, Nilu. I'd start with just asking both for you to introduce yourself and just define some terms for us, defining reproductive freedom so we're on the same page, maybe defining birth justice as well. Of course. Thank you for having me, Dan. I founded and run Love Child. It's a support space for expecting and new parents. We offer everything from prenatal yoga to childbirth education, doula services, new parent groups, and things like that. I'm actually headed to midwifery school this fall. We'll see what that looks like. And I am prenatal, postnatal yoga expert, a breastfeeding counselor, a midwifery assistant, and childbirth educator, all of the community health perspectives from birth. And I'm looking forward to adding the medical field in as well. And that's a great question. Reproductive freedom is a term that encompasses the choices of reproductive justice as well as the choices of people who do choose to have children. So often reproductive justice understandably tends to focus on abortion care, but doesn't necessarily always focus on the choice to have a child. The focus on full-spectrum care from contraception to abortion care, birth justice, which includes for people to have options in, in giving birth, to be able to give birth with dignity, have their rights in childbirth respected, as well as having great access to postpartum care as well. So reproductive freedom encompasses the whole spectrum of care. Birthing justice in particular focuses both on birth, but also on the choices that people might have to make in case there's a loss, as well as supporting their choices in postpartum and contraceptive care beyond. Thanks for those definitions. What I'd like to do this episode is do a full arc of discussion, starting from what things were like before COVID, then how the COVID pandemic has exacerbated the crises that were already present, and then moving to the future, kind of a, a chronological view in that way. So could can you start us off just by talking about what birthing justice field looked like before COVID and what you were fighting for prior to all of this even beginning? Of course, that's a great question. And the pandemic has obviously highlighted the crisis of health care in many respects and no different in in the field of birth as well. So just to talk about the state of affairs in New York City about 20 years back, in 2001, we had multiple birth centers, midwifery teams in hospitals. However, in the last 20 years, we've seen multiple freestanding birth centers close and hospitals cut midwifery units as they start to consolidate. So I'm in Lower Manhattan, and so this is where my focus tends to be, where Lower Manhattan is very dense, diverse. It does have its pockets of wealthy neighborhoods. So we saw the closure of most recently the Mount Sinai Hospital Birth Center. We saw the closure of Beth Israel's L&D, as well as the closure of St. Vincent's Midwifery Unit and Hospital, the Elizabeth Seton Freestanding Birth Center. And so just in the last 20 years, we've lost a lot of really great holistic options that we have. In talking about our options, in the last 20 years, we've also seen in the U.S. a huge rapid increase in C-sections and medical interventions. 
while at the same time seeing an increase in maternal mortality. The U.S. is the only rich country where the maternal mortality rate is increasing. So despite all of the money that and interventions that we're pouring into this field, we're still not having good outcomes, particularly in New York. New York State has the 11th highest C-section rate in the U.S., and New York City in particular, maternal mortality have a huge disparity based on race. Black women in New York are almost 12 times as likely as their white counterparts to die in childbirth. The cost of care is also astronomical. And so these were all the issues that we were working on pre-pandemic. Cool. So now moving on to the pandemic itself, I think across social issues and across this podcast, we're really discussing the ways in which this pandemic is really just pouring fuel on fires that were already present. So I'd love now to switch to what the pandemic has been highlighting, what issues it's been highlighting, and what you've been fighting for from the beginning of the pandemic. Right. So in mid-March, as hospitals in New York started to ramp up their preparation to navigate handling COVID patients, there were some guidelines, but they were insufficient in terms of giving clarity for pregnant and birthing people who were scheduled for their routine appointments and scheduled to give birth in these facilities over the next month. There was a lot of fear and uncertainty as pregnant people were being asked by the state to continue to go into hospitals if they had planned hospital births. And understandably, for those who, because there were insufficient guarantees, people who are worried about their their own health and safety, those who could afford to left New York City to give birth elsewhere, fearing contracting the virus themselves in this hospital or going to hospitals that were very overwhelmed. They also switched in great numbers to the to the two birth center facilities that we have, as well as to switch to home birth midwifery practices. So these are institutions that are that don't have the ability to handle this kind of volume of requests. In the meantime, because there was inadequate testing, pregnant people who were asymptomatic were potentially exposing the virus to healthcare workers. There were also understandably staffing shortages as L&D nurses and doctors were contracting COVID as well. And so a few labor and delivery units closed. In the meantime, the public conversation was focused on what it was like for pregnant people in this time. However, with the announcement of the New York Presbyterian Hospital System saying that partners would no longer be allowed to join people as they give birth, the media focused on this piece, and there is obviously a huge outcry and a petition to get this order reversed. It's important to note, and I don't think many people know, that while the partner ban was applied in Mount Sinai and New York Presbyterian hospitals, but not in others. So there were other hospitals such as NYU and public hospitals who are still allowing partners. So what ended up happening is that we got this huge distraction because, you know, understandably it's a birthing person's right to have their companion of choice. And then the governor came back after a public outcry to say, yes, it's okay, you can have your partners. And what it gave the community was this sense of oh my gosh, thank God I can have my partner. I'm not going to ask for anything else. This is Mm -hmm. all I want. 
for some of us in the birthing community, it was like, well, we've been fighting for a lot more than just you for the ability to have your partner, but to mm. also give birth in a safe and respectful manner. And it was in this time that the need for alternative birthing sites, so birthing sites that are hospital adjacent or outside of the hospital, became really clear. I've personally been advocating for alternative birthing sites since mid-March, as well as a lot of different national organizations. We were able to get a plan through our city and state officials, get a plan to the New York state levels to say, here's a plan for alternative birthing sites, here's how it can be implemented, here's how much it would cost. It's a similar effort took place in the Netherlands where they converted a hotel into an alternate birthing center. There were, in the UK, they actually converted some soccer stadiums into maternal clinics. The American Association of Birth Centers put out guidelines for these auxiliary maternity units, as they called them, and put out this call saying anybody who would like help navigating and setting this up, please let us know. On April 4th, I believe it was when I heard back that this was not a priority from the state level, surprisingly, um, despite having this plan in place, and that we should instead focus our efforts on getting individual hospitals to create their auxiliary maternity units. Mm. Following the involvement of Every Mother Counts, which is an, an international organization that supports maternal health, New York State Maternal Task Force was created and recommendations were made to the governor in the third week of April. And the recommendations were everything that grassroots organizations and myself had been asking for for the last six weeks. And so while it was great that this happened, it should have happened sooner. We definitely missed our window of opportunity to prevent a lot of hardship during this first peak of the virus. The pandemic highlighted this urgency of the need for alternative birthing sites that are outside of hospitals, mm. as well as a many issues that we've been fighting for for a long time and in particular during this pandemic we also saw one black mother one fatality from childbirth mm. where a woman in the bronx passed away after a c-section it looks like it was because of inadequate prenatal care and so this is when there are stressors on our systems that are already quite shaky, it make, becomes that much more challenging to have respectful, informed care and to have your choices in birth be respected. Mm. So <clears throat> I want to stay on alternative birthing centers just for a moment. I mean, I think it's wonderful and it's important to realize New York City and this country is not in a vacuum and that there are easily replicatable models around the world that are happening. So you got this letter saying, it wasn't a priority for the governor. So can you talk a bit more about why alternative birthing centers during this time of COVID is so important? At the height of the pandemic, the state and the city were expecting healthy, low-risk pregnant people to admit themselves potentially alone into the same hospital systems that were then being overwhelmed with patients very sick with COVID. Obviously, it's strange to ask any healthy person to go into the hospital when the majority of the population is being told to shelter in place, but for healthy, low-risk pregnant people, these 
policies posed some specific risks and challenges. First, concerns about the safety of being in the hospital led to a number of early or unnecessary inductions, which can actually pose a significant respiratory risk to neonates. And although we don't have clear evidence yet, anecdotally, I believe that these safety concerns were also leading to a lot of unnecessary C-sections. Certainly data out of China regarding birthing people who were COVID positive suggested that that was probably the case. Second, even after the reversal of the policy at some hospitals banning partners from attending births, many birthing people reported being forced to give birth without any support person. And even in the cases where partners were able to attend, doulas, relatives, and other support people were often unable to. Obviously, the pandemic required many painful adjustments, but some of these sacrifices were more a function of a failure to offer alternatives than actual necessity. And finally, this isn't specific to pregnant people, but in many instances at the height of the pandemic, at hospitals where not even staff had enough PPE and where there weren't enough tests to go around, birthing people were being admitted, not tested at all, or not given test results until after they were discharged and expected to bring their own personal protective equipment, then sent home sometimes too quickly with almost no postpartum support. All of this is outrageous, of course, and points to exactly why having alternative birthing centers would have been so essential at the height of the pandemic, but also why having midwife-led birth centers in addition to revitalize public health institutions and better pandemic preparedness will be essential going forward. On the subject of birth centers, we know that birth outside the hospital is safe. In fact, for those who are low risk, it is safer than birth at the hospital. On top of that fact, at the height of the pandemic, New York City's hospital system was overwhelmed and short-staffed as a great many healthcare providers tested positive for COVID, even as huge volume of patients required care. We know that midwives are trained to attend births in a variety of settings safely, so given these various conditions, it seems obvious that midwives should have been empowered to support birthing people outside the hospital to a far greater extent over the past few months. Not to mention that nine out of 10 pregnant people who tested positive for COVID after being admitted to NYC hospitals during the pandemic were asymptomatic. While giving birth, somebody can expect to see approximately 20 healthcare workers over their course of their time in a hospital. So in the absence of universal testing and adequate PPE, these policies also put healthcare workers and non-COVID patients sharing facilities at significantly greater risk for community spread. Ideally, we would have separated COVID positive and COVID negative birthing people so that we could make the best use of our limited PPE and protect healthy pregnant people, newborns, partners, doulas, and healthcare workers. But that would have required both universal testing as well as alternative birthing centers. Out-of-hospital sites such as birth centers are generally able to offer doula and companion support for birthing people because as, as smaller settings, they're much more agile and personalized and they're better able to limit contact between healthcare workers and birthing families. For example, at a birthing center, a family would only see two to four healthcare workers during their stay and they would be in a single room for their entire visit, whereas at a hospital, they would see multiple healthcare workers over multiple shifts and be moved from the waiting area to triage to a labor room and finally to a postpartum room. 
in view of the fact that the Javits Center was converted into a massive hospital, I argued along with many other birth workers from mid-March on that New York City should have converted a handful of much smaller spaces into safe alternative birthing sites to be able to get through the crisis without causing unnecessary trauma and harm to birthing people and their babies. This would have allowed hospitals to work at full capacity, kept more healthy people out of the hospital, including pregnant people, partners, and midwives, and saved resources, limited PPE, hospital beds, staff, for those who needed them the most. Obviously, it was frustrating to see none of these necessary actions taken when it really mattered, but I'm hopeful that out of all of these failures to act, maybe we'll start to see new opportunities and more preparedness for the future emerge. You also mentioned it's great that it's happening now, but it wasn't so clear what exactly is happening. Right. So what the New York Maternity Task Force did, which was wonderful, one of their recommendations was that there should be a plan for in case of future emergencies that there is a plan for alternative birthing sites. Mm. It's a little bit vague. Um, There isn't like a clear plan behind it. Another point that they advocated for that the governor did accept was the creation of midwife-led birth centers. So in the United States, there are 345 birth centers. A birth center is a place where low-risk people can go to give birth. 85% of people are low-risk, so a lot of people could be going to birth centers. In New York State, we have three. Out of those three, there are two in New York City. Both of them are in Brooklyn, and these are both physician-led birth centers as opposed to midwife-led birth centers. Midwife-led birth centers were legalized in New York in 2016, so they weren't even legal before that. It took them until 2019 to pass regulations for these birth centers. All that was left is a licensing process for these facilities, and it was the state maternity task force put it as one of their recommendations that these should be licensed within 45 days. So we're hoping that this licensure piece comes through. 45 days is approximately June. Should not have taken four years to get this done, but hopefully it means that we can now have more community-based midwife-led birthing facilities in New York. So that's just the piece of what we've been working on in terms of birth centers. This is not even getting into the long history of the assault that the medical field sometimes have had on midwifery services as well, just in terms of disempowering midwives in the patriarchal way that the medical system sometimes operates. That doesn't even cover (laughs) what midwives generally have to go through in order to be credentialed and paid and to work. Mm. So that's the piece about what we're really looking forward to for alternative birthing sites in Mm. New York. So can you talk a bit about the importance of doulas during this pandemic? Yes. So doulas have been shown to reduce maternal mortality as well as improve people's health outcomes. Because hospitals are restricting visitors, doulas aren't able to provide in-person services. And so a lot of doulas have been providing virtual services. Recently, however, the task force also did mention that doulas 
are now considered essential workers and can now continue to attend births in, in person in the hospital. However, a lot of these these decisions seem to be coming from the top down without engagement mm-hmm. or consideration for people's needs on the ground. For example, doulas tend to be freelance. They have no access to personal protective equipment, no training on how to use personal protective equipment. They don't know if they're going to be tested for COVID if they go to the hospital or not. They often don't have insurance themselves or are insured and aren't getting hazard pay. So while it's wonderful that doulas are being accepted back into the hospital system, there's a lot of concerns in terms of what that looks like on the ground and day to day. And so that's another piece that is still continuing to be figured out. And the task force had also recently, because there are multiple certifications for midwives, such as a certified professional midwife versus a certified nurse midwife, New York has been very restrictive in the past in terms of allowing the certified professional midwives to practice even though they have full benefits in other states. And so we're also seeing that those types of restrictions are being lifted. However, how these community health workers and how doulas are can be integrated into pandemic response as we move forward in terms of providing information and education and follow-up care, because now most postpartum care is also telehealth. And so if you're at home post-C-section, but you're not seeing anyone for, for maybe six weeks, these are the type of community health workers that can really fill in the gaps when the medical system is under a lot of pressure. Great. So that, I think, does a good job in, in now bringing us from the present to the future. So maybe talk about what it could be, right? What, what an accessible and affordable and safe and equitable uh, reproductive health care system could could look like? Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, well, considering that we spend more money on health care and have really poor outcomes, that we really could be doing a lot better. In terms of birth justice, one of the biggest barriers that we currently have is an ideological belief that hospital birth is safest. And as I mentioned before, a majority of people are low risk and can give birth safely at home or in a birth center with or with midwives. The UK actually recommends home birth for all of these, this, this whole population. Um, so this ideological barrier, these deeply held beliefs that are not evidence-based and that don't reflect reality, and I think we're looking at how, how do we overcome this to, to become more evidence-based and to seek what, what does it mean to actually receive holistic care and what does that look like? I think that shift definitely needs to take place. We also need an integrated system of home birth, birth center birth, and hospital birth. So these three options of places to give birth, as well as working with midwives, community health professionals, such as doulas and lactation consultants, and physicians and doctors, all integrated in all three settings. So that right now they're quite siloed, where midwives only attend home births and the tra- in case you need a transfer from a home birth to a hospital, some hospitals that are friendlier than others. And so those types of barriers still exist in terms of having integrated care. 
So that's something that we have a long way to go. We also obviously need alternative birth institutions. And interestingly, what we've seen, New York City has a long history of public health leadership. From early in the 20th century, for example, Dr. Baker had, Josephine Baker had set up the midwifery school at Bellevue and trained midwives. And all these midwives did home visits for all their clients and were able to reduce the maternal mortality then just by offering these home visits and offering free prenatal care. They also had set up baby health hygiene centers. <laughs> these were there, were, there were 68 of them all across the city. If you can imagine your public life, our public library system, but for baby health. So a place where it was in your neighborhood, you could go, you could get advice on feeding, you could get prenatal care, you, you could meet other people. Unfortunately, what we saw, so New York City, because it used to have all these facilities and has a long, strong public health institution, however, these facilities were eliminated during the 1970s fiscal crisis, and a lot of these programs were cut. And I think the parallels are really similar in the moment that we're in now, where we're going to have a budget crisis, and we're going to see a lot of our social programs get cut significantly when we actually should be doing the opposite and reinvesting, reimagining, reinventing community care, because mm. it is more affordable, more accessible, and leads to better outcomes. Great. Well, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and talking about birthing justice and keep us posted on, on this fight. I will. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Thank you.